0: Tonight, we are going to start a new book, the book of Jeremiah. So, if you'll turn in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, make your way there. You'll find it, of course, right after the book of Isaiah. Yeah. And if you need a Bible, uh, just raise your hand and we'll hand you a Bible. There's some on the front platform. We want you to read uh, Jeremiah, I believe, is 51 chapters, so we got all night. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But. Uh, We'll we'll start with chapter 1, verse 1 here tonight in Jeremiah chapter 1. So um, before we get into our study, uh, I got a number of announcements. We are just two weeks away from Thanksgiving, and uh, this weekend we do have uh, the youth that are going to be meeting from 6 to 8 o'clock here at the church, so parents take note of that. They're reminding the high schoolers uh, upstairs, it's a high school youth meeting. Uh, group that's going to have some fellowship and time together from 6 to 8 o'clock on Saturday here at the church. So parents, they're being reminded of that. I want to remind you that it is coming up on Saturday. And then the cold weather shelter ministry, uh, it's opened up. And so we are going to uh, be providing a meal down there on the third Saturday of each month through March. So if that's a ministry that you wanna be involved in, you can call uh, Jason Jurdigan. His number's there in the bulletin and uh, should be in the e-bulletin as well, those of you who get the uh, e-bulletin. And uh, he's overseeing that. So you can provide food, you can help prepare food. Maybe a ministry that you wanna be involved in this winter because it'll go through, as I said, through March. And we'll be down there committed to the third Saturday of each month. Also, there is Koinia Fellowship uh, that Jim and Rhonda are hosting on the 23rd of November. And then, uh, of course, with it, uh, Thanksgiving, only two weeks away, Thanksgiving Eve, a couple things. Number one is Operation Christmas Child, so be sure to get your box there, and then you can bring them back Sunday morning if you want. We'll kind of uh, line them up, and, and then we'll pray for the week because we are the collection uh, facility for the boxes coming in in the Greeley area and around Weld County and we've been doing that for many many years and what a privilege it is to do that. Uh, You can help if you'd like to sign up uh, at that uh, desk there the table that has all the OCC information to help unload shoe boxes during collection week which starts on Monday the 18th through the following Monday the 25th. So look at those hours posted. If you forget to bring your shoe box or you're not here on Sunday, uh, you can bring them during collection hours that are posted there. They're posted on our website as well. I want to remind you because some people have said that they can't pull up the, the uh, web page. We have a new address, calvarychapelgreeley.org. That's calvarychapelgreeley, one word, dot O-R-G. It used to be calvarychapelgreeley.com. That will not pull up the webpage, but it's .org now. And uh, it's posted on there, the hours of collection here uh, at the church. So uh, we're looking forward to that. It's a lot of work, uh, but what a privilege it is. And we want to pray for Gail and all those who are going to be here during the week, uh, taking shoe boxes out of trucks and cars and trailers and everything else that comes here to the church also on the 25th, that Monday before Thanksgiving, there's going to be uh, food boxes that we're going to be given to the community. So continue to bring your non-perishable food items to that basket uh, out there in the foyer area uh, by the information desk, and we'll make sure Lola gets that and, and Jerry. And then uh, on Monday the 25th, there's an opportunity for you to help so you can sign up at the information desk. And here's a flyer, and there should be some Uh, flyers out at the information desk, additional information for helping on the 25th. So you can sign up for that because it is a lot of work. It's a lot of organizing, getting food boxes together, um, getting them all separated. And uh, it's just a wonderful ministry. And there's so many needs in our community. So um, if you'd like to help out, Uh, please, that would be a blessing. So read that. And also, there is an opportunity for us. Uh, We used to give gifts and and bring them in and stuff. And what we've decided, the easiest way, to give a $15 gift card to Walmart. And if you would like to help with that, because there are families, they can't afford to get uh, gifts for their kids. So if you'd like to purchase uh, a $15 uh, gift card from Walmart, please, please do so and and then uh, we'll collect those as well and we'll make sure that uh, Lola gets those and then those who have requested that uh, on the slip that they fill out, they will be getting those gift cards. So read this carefully and uh, take a look at it, see how you might get involved, how you might serve during the holiday season, and particularly as we head into Thanksgiving. Um, So we're looking forward to that. We love doing that. I think last year we gave out 150 food boxes to people in need in the community, and we're looking at reaching that, or maybe even more this year, because a lot of uh, those uh, needs came in. And, And by the way, on the back of this uh, uh, um, flyer uh, if you need a thanksgiving box or know somebody you can fill that out and drop it in the offering box and we're just going to be preparing for that over the next couple of weeks it's um, less than two weeks on the 25th two weeks from today next week we'll be continuing in the book of jeremiah and then in two weeks is thanksgiving eve and we're going to have a family service and we have our annual pie social so if you like to bring pie and pre-cut and uh, we're just going to have a wonderful time together as a church family. We'll always enjoy it. It's always a blessing. I'll do a short teaching, um, a Psalm of Thanksgiving. And, and uh, we're just going to give thanks to the Lord and then we're going to fellowship and we're going to have pie together. So uh, I know it gets busy uh, during this time of the year where you're baking and everything. If it's too much to bring a pie, don't worry about it. Uh, but for you who want to bring a pie, any kind of pie is great. And uh, I'd love to have you bring a pie pre-sliced as it is. Also, if you can kind of a disposable pan to put it in because it's hard to try to figure it all out or at least have your name on a pan Uh, because we'll wash them and we'll get them ready for you to take home. But we always enjoy the fellowship and just uh, having Thanksgiving Eve together as a church family and having pie together and being able to fellowship and it's a tremendous blessing. always enjoyed uh, Thanksgiving Eve and and we decorate the church for the Christmas season and, and it's just a wonderful time. Um, for those of you who will be traveling, we will be praying for you as uh, many are traveling during this time of the year. Uh, we'll be uh, praying for all the families and, and for you that perhaps may be on the road or catching a plane or whatever it might be for Thanksgiving season. Um, I think I've covered everything that I want to cover, so make sure that you kind of look at everything concerning Operation Christmas Child and then uh, the Thanksgiving boxes that will be given out. And then also, um, many of you have been asking about uh, a report on Israel and, uh, you you know, showing you Israel. So we're going to do that on the Wednesday after Thanksgiving Eve on December the 4th, okay? Okay. So we'll show you that, and I'll I'll take you on a tour of Israel and the different sites, and I think you'll be blessed by that. There's a lot going on in Israel right now. Uh, Of course, on uh, New Year's Eve, we uh, will have our holiday schedule coming out for Christmas Eve, which is on a Tuesday night, and uh, we will not have Wednesday night on Christmas Day Christmas is on a Wednesday, and, uh, and then the next week, New Year's Eve, I do my annual prophecy update, and last year I did it, do you remember? What I did last year, I Zephaniah. and Zephaniah was a contemporary of Jeremiah, and uh, even though he, you know, he's one of the minor prophets, a short book, three chapters long. It was powerful and and it spoke to us And Jeremiah is going to speak to us as well. So they were ministering at the same time uh, to the nation of Judah had a lot to say things that were very relevant to us but there's a lot going on in Israel and in the Middle East right now and of course you've heard the news that since we got back that tensions have increased in Gaza and uh, they've been firing over 200 missiles into Israel and uh, we're in that area. Uh, not far from Gaza uh, as we were uh, swinging around from the Dead Sea up to Beersheba and then over to Jerusalem. And so all those towns that we were going through are under threat of those missiles that are coming in. And then also Lebanon, uh, there is the prime minister resigned when we were in Israel. So there's civil war. They're afraid it's going to break out. And of course, it's a hotbed for Hezbollah, a terrorist group there that has many missiles pointed at Israel. And then in Syria, we were up on the Syrian border. Actually, we were closer to Damascus than we were to the Sea of Galilee. And we were only about 40 miles from Damascus, right there on the border, looking through the valley, hearing artillery, you know, fire and things like that that was going on. And so there's a lot going on in Syria. Does it speak to us today? Um, What's taking place in Israel? And I think that it does. But also... We are going to be heading into an election year as well. So I'm going to be speaking about uh, our nation. I'm going to be speaking about uh, those things in the prophecy update. So we're looking forward to that on New Year's Eve at 7 o'clock. And you don't want to miss it. But before that, we're going to celebrate the birth of our Savior. And uh, so a wonderful time, wonderful Bible studies coming along. And I, you, you, we took 10 months to go through the book of Revelation. And I know that many of you enjoyed that study. But listen, keep coming out. Keep growing in the word of God. Keep, uh, you know, studying God's word as we study Sunday morning, First Timothy. We're going to go into 2 Timothy as we uh, finish First Timothy this week. And then Jeremiah. And then we'll go through Ezekiel. And then we'll go through Daniel And you're going to see that uh, there's a lot in there for us today. And these books are largely ignored in the church today. Maybe little tidbits and stuff are studied in the church. But it's important for us to understand what prophets had to say because it was not only for Judah in that day but it's for us today so I want to encourage you keep coming out keep growing in the word of God and and I think you're going to find it to be tremendously beneficial and helpful especially in the day in which we are living in, the great need in the church today is to get back to the Word of God and to be studying it. And I pray that uh, you continue to grow in the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ and in God's Word and in godly wisdom. As we do meet here on Wednesday, it's interesting that the trend today, because the latest blogs in, in church, you know, um, you know how to to do church and stuff and and those who study those things is not to have a midweek service. So more and more churches are canceling midweek services. I think it's so important for us to be here on Wednesday night. It's always been a big part of our weekly service. And uh, there are people that work on the weekends. But it gives us the opportunity to go through these books of the Bible. And I hope and pray that it's beneficial to you as well. It's a lot better than anything on TV. I'll guarantee you that to be in God's word, to have an opportunity to study. So continue to come out on Wednesday nights, and I know that you'll be blessed. So, Father, we thank you for this time as we open up the book of Jeremiah. And Lord, uh, the weeping prophet, uh, there is a reason why he wept. And it causes us to weep as we see the condition of our nation spiritually, as we see even the condition of the church. And I know, Lord, that you have your remnant of people that you're working. And Lord, I pray that as we go through these chapters, and it's a a large book, that we would be enriched, that we would be blessed in every way. And Lord, as we take in the word of God, that it would grow us in the knowledge of, of you, in your truth, your commandments, your precepts. And even as Jeremiah had a message to a nation that was getting further away from you, Lord, that we can make application for our lives and for our church and also for our nation as well. And so, Lord, may we be always teachable. Pray that you bless this time to study your word as we begin this book. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So you know the Old Testament is divided up, the first five books are the books of Moses, and then you have the historical books from Joshua all the way through Esther. And when you look at First and 2 Kings and 1 and 2 Chronicles, it talks about the kings that were on the scene. 1 and 2 Kings uh, speaks of the kings of Judah. After Solomon's reign, Rehoboam comes on the throne. And, of course, uh, the people uh, would rebel against Rehoboam, the ten northern tribes, and they became the house of Israel. So sometimes that people, when they go through the Old Testament, they get a little bit confused. There's Israel, there's Judah. What's the difference? The 10 northern tribes broke away from, from Judah, from Judah and Benjamin, the two southern tribes, and where Jerusalem was. And, and so they were known as the House of Israel, and then you had the House of Judah down south, which again included Jerusalem and Solomon's temple. And so you read about those kings of Israel and the kings of Judah going through First and 2 Kings. And then in Chronicles, 1 Chronicles, deals a lot with David and his reign. And then the kings of Judah doesn't really speak of the kings of Israel. But we see the historical books and how they would go off in the captivity, the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And then it ends with Esther. There's uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, that speaks of after they come from the captivity. And and, uh, Esther speaks of that time where uh, there was this plot against the Jews uh, when the Medes and the Persians were in power. So those are historical books and then you get into the poetic books starting with Job all the way through the Song of Solomon includes Psalms and Proverbs and then the prophetic books which includes the major prophets and then the minor prophets. And we went through the book of Isaiah last time before we went into the book of Revelation. And Isaiah was on the scene when Israel was up north, the ten northern tribes, and then the house of Judah. And as Isaiah was speaking and prophesying, he uh, was on the scene from about 740 to 740. To 690 BC, you say, so what? Well, there's a lot that happened. And if you're with us in our study of Isaiah, which was 66 chapters, you see that Isaiah was speaking to the house of Israel, but then during his reign, the house of Israel would go off into uh, captivity, or that is his ministry. Uh, we know that there were 19 kings of the house of Israel. All of them wicked kings, and and 720 B.C. they would go off into captivity by the Assyrians. The Assyrians were the powerhouse of the day. And then Isaiah would begin to then minister, prophesy to the house of Judah. He would bring warning to them. And and his ministry would end in about 690 B.C. And it is believed that he would be killed by Manasseh. You see, Isaiah began to minister during the reign of Uzziah when he died. Uzziah reigned for 52 years. You recall that Isaiah chapter Chapter six, that that we read that in the year that King Uzziah died, that I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his, you know, the train of his robe filled the temple. He saw the glory of the Lord and then he heard the voice of the Lord say, who will go for us? And he said, I will. Uh, Send me, Lord. And Isaiah, his ministry began in the year that Uzziah died. Now, Uzziah was a good king of Judah. And even though all the kings of Israel, 19 kings, were wicked kings in the house of Israel, the house of Judah did a little bit better. They had some good kings, but they also had some very terrible kings that would, you know, lead them into idol worship and forsaken the Lord. So Uzziah was one that... Reigned 52 years, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He really made Judah strong. He was a strong leader that, that brought economic prosperity and military strength and agricultural practices that benefited the nation. But then he dies, and, and Isaiah comes on the scene, begins to prophesy. His son Jotham comes on the scene. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And he reigned for 16 years. But then after Jotham came Ahaz. And Ahaz was a terrible king. He was one of the worst kings of Judah. And he plunged the nation deep into idol worship and, and forsaken the Lord and occultic kinds of practices. And you might recall that it was in Isaiah chapter 6 that we see that it was um, Ahaz that was afraid because uh, he had heard of this, this uh, plot to of Israel and Syria to come against him and to kill him. And they were going to put their own king on the throne. So Ahaz is upset. He, he's He's trying to figure out what to do. And Isaiah comes to him and says that Ahaz, the Lord has a word for you. And if you don't believe the word of the Lord, you will not be established. And that's such an important lesson for us, because if we don't believe the word of the Lord to us, we won't be established. We'll be frightened. We'll be afraid. We'll be tossed to and fro. And that's what was happening to Ahaz. He wasn't right with the Lord. So Isaiah said, you know, the Lord will show you a sign, ask for a sign. And he wouldn't do it because he wasn't right again with the Lord. And so Isaiah said, the Lord's going to give you a sign, Ahaz. Ahaz that the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, that is God with us. That wonderful prophecy that we're familiar with at the Christmas season. And so, of course, uh, as Isaiah said, that this, this plot isn't going to work. Uh, it's going to come to nothing. And we know that it was Ahaz who wouldn't trust in the Lord, but what he did is he made an alliance with the king, to, Glaf the the uh, king of Assyria to come against Syria and to kill the king of Syria. And that's what Ahaz did. He made an allegiance with the enemy. So Ahaz was a terrible, terrible king. And then here came Hezekiah after Ahaz. And Hezekiah reigned for almost 30 years. He brought revival into the land and they celebrate the Passover. And then after Hezekiah, and it was during the time of Hezekiah um, that you recall, again, the 10 northern tribes went off into captivity in 720 BC by the Assyrians and they continued southward and they surrounded Jerusalem and you recall that as we looked at Isaiah in chapters 38 and 39, uh, uh, 37, uh, we see that Shenacherib and his troops surrounded Jerusalem. Shenacherib is hurling these insults and threats against Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem. They were going to destroy Jerusalem and then an angel came and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night and delivered Jerusalem. And so the Assyrians began to decline in power, really struggled at that time. And and Hezekiah, being that godly king, uh, reigned in Jerusalem during that time. But then after he would pass uh, on, then came Manasseh. Now Manasseh, he was a terrible king. He ruled for about 55 years. He was the worst king that Judah had. Manasseh plunged the nation deep into idol worship, occultic kinds of practices, every kind of perversity that there was. They were even sacrificing their children on the arms of Moloch in the Gehenna Valley. When you go to the Gehenna Valley today, they made a parkway out of it. It's very beautiful. But it has a a bad history of of where sacrifices were done and sacrificing their own children. And because of the sins of Manasseh, the Lord said that Judah, you're going to go off into captivity. It is also believed that as Isaiah uh, was ministering, that he would be killed by Manasseh. You read in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, that those of faith, there are some that were sawn in half. and, And it is believed historically that Isaiah was sawn in half by Manasseh. So Manasseh is reigning and he reigns for a long time plunges Judah deep into idol worship. And it's during that time that Isaiah is sawn in half to where Jeremiah comes on the scene and he begins to prophesy. He comes on the scene in, in about 626 BC. So there's about 60 years between Isaiah and Jeremiah coming on the scene. Now what was happening historically is that the Assyrians in Egypt and Babylon we're all kind of trying to take control of the known world. Trying to, they were battling it out to see who's going to be the dominating empire. And of course, Babylon would rise up in 609 BC to be the dominating world power. So all of this has taken place, and I don't mean to bore you with a lot of. Dates and names and things like that, but it really sets the stage of Jeremiah coming on the scene. Now he was called the weeping prophet because he had a difficult message to the southern kingdom of Judah, one of judgment, and would break his heart the things that he had to say. And, and he would be known as one that wept at the message that he gave. He wasn't known as the weeping prophet because he was just emotional and he was a crybaby. But he really, what he was speaking of, broke his heart because he is talking about the death of a nation. He is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. And one of the saddest verses that we'll read in the book of Jeremiah is when he says, summer's over, harvest is in, and we're not saved. Speaking of the destruction of Jerusalem. So he's speaking to a nation that will not turn to him. And he's known as the weeping prophet. But you might recall as we went through the book of Isaiah, that he also wept at the message of judgment that he would give to the nation as well, to God's people. And you see, it reminds me so much of Jesus. Isn't it interesting at Caesarea Philippi, when Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? And I said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Jeremiah. And I find that very interesting that they respond that some say that you're Jeremiah. Because when you look at Jeremiah's ministry here for over 40 years, there's not any record of anyone responding to his message, of any converts. Jeremiah is very much alone. He is persecuted. He goes through difficulty. Uh, I mean, he, the crowds weren't there. Uh, and he was being, you know, persecuted and resisted his message that we're going to see very clearly here. But yet, when you think about Jonah, you know, Jonah, Jonah and the large fish. He goes to Nineveh. He speaks a judgment. The whole city gets saved. You know, in Nineveh was probably a million people. So they didn't say, oh, it's John the Baptist or Jonah. But they said Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet. But as I think about it, listen, Jesus also wept as well. And the message that he had to give to his people, he wept over Jerusalem. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the ones that the prophets were sent to, and how you stoned them and killed them, and how I long to gather you to myself as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing to come, and now your house is left to you desolate. And you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Matter of fact, Jesus wept over Jerusalem twice. He wept over because as he lamented, he knew that Jerusalem was going to be destroyed after his death and burial and his resurrection, which happened in 70 AD by the Romans as they surrounded Jerusalem and destroyed the second temple. And Josephus, the Jewish historian, writes that 1.1 million Jews were killed at that time. That's a lot of people that the blood ran through the streets of Jerusalem. And 100,000 were taken off in the captivity to be in slavery to Rome. And they were scattered at that time. And Jesus wept. He wept over Lazarus when he was at the tomb of Lazarus. The shortest verse in the Bible, right? In John chapter 11, Jesus wept. But he had a message, and he, you know, oftentimes when we think that Jesus would give that message that was difficult of judgment, as he would say, O Chorus and Bethsaida and you Capernaum, that was exalted to heaven, but they did not respond to his ministry. They did not believe. And as Jesus is saying that, I don't think he's saying that with an angry voice, you know, you are exalted to heaven, and great is a judgment. I think he's weeping, He's weeping. As we were in Capernaum just a couple weeks ago, called the town of Jesus, it's amazing to think that of the whole universe, that God set aside one solar system. He set aside one planet. He set aside one nation. And he set aside one little village nestled along the Sea of Galilee. And he spent more time in Capernaum than any other place. And all of a sudden, that place became the holy of holies. The very presence of God. God in human flesh, there in Capernaum, and he's weeping. You are exalted to heaven, but you wouldn't come. So Jesus wept as well, just like Jeremiah. And I think that's why there was comparison. He looked at the multitudes with compassion. He ministered to them, just as Jeremiah had compassion. So we should have that kind of attitude as well, because sometimes I run into Christians it's like judgments are coming, and kind of like, ha ha, I can't wait till it happens. You know, God's going to judge these people or judge this nation or whatever. It should weep what we see, what has t- taken place in our nation, the decline spiritually. We should weep, but we're seeing that it's taking place even in the church today, right? As we see the church is getting further and further away, and I mean the church at large, from the word of God, from biblical morality, from encouraging people to pursue godliness, the things that we've been talking about with, you know, our study of First Timothy. Timothy continuing these things. You know, pursue Godliness. Let's labor together in that. And so an important message that we've been looking at, and yet it can be avoided in the church today because we can get involved in all this stuff and convenience and entertainment and hype and things like that to try, try to draw in the crowds and everything else. And we should weep when we get further and further away from the importance of the study of God's word in pursuing godliness and standing for righteousness. So that should be our attitude as well. So here is we can start the book of Jeremiah. The words of Jeremiah, verse 1, the son of Hilkiah, the, the, the priest, who are in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. Anathoth is about three or four, five miles north of Jerusalem, very close to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. And it also came in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. And Zedekiah would be the last of the kings of Judah before the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. Jeremiah, he begins his ministry when he was young, around 20 years of age. His father's Helkiah, a priest, and, and so he comes from a priestly family. It's interesting. You don't read about Jeremiah. His name's not mentioned in 1 or 2 Kings or in 2 Chronicles. Uh, But his father is mentioned as you read those chapters of 2 Chronicles 34, 2 Kings chapter 22. He was the priest that was on the scene when Josiah becomes the king. Josiah here uh, that is mentioned. So Jeremiah, he begins his ministry in the reign of Josiah. Now, Jeremiah on the scene for about 50 years, uh, 626 B.C. to 580 B.C. Uh, I've already mentioned that his contemporary is Zephaniah. And and here is Jeremiah coming on the scene when one of the good kings was ruling. Josiah was the last of the good kings in Judah. And he would be trained uh, to do the work of the priests. But God now calls him to be a prophet and we will see that Jeremiah was reluctant because he feels that he's young but also think about it being a priest would be a whole lot easier than being a prophet because being a priest you just followed the law you followed the rituals you followed this ceremonial you know uh, prescription that is given to you as sacrifices and your responsibilities you just followed the instructions it was very predictable but being a prophet was very much different You never knew what God was going to do with you the next day. It was very much uh, more demanding. It brought rejection, and it brought persecution. And there would be rebellion in the nation, and he would again be born... Jeremiah during the reign of Manasseh and then he would come on a scene during the reign of Josiah. And Jeremiah began his ministry when Josiah was the king. Now it's interesting, Josiah, he becomes king in about 639 B.C. at the ripe old age of eight years old. He's just a boy when he becomes the king. And he begins to, to set his heart on the Lord and the things of the Lord. And in the 12th year of his reign, as you read those chapters, again, 2 Kings 22, 2 Chronicles 34, he began to um, receive counsel from Hilkiah. What happened was he began to purge the land in the 12th year of his reign of idolatry. He called the people back to repentance and to follow the law. And what happened was he had the order of the priests to clean the temple out. His father Manasseh just trashed out, you know, his grandfather Manasseh trashed out the temple and, and brought in idols. So he cleans it all up and behold in the corner somewhere in the temple they found a copy of the book of the law. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if there was no copy of the Bible here in our nation and all of a sudden it was found in you know, the White House or in, in, in Washington, D.C. Or, or perhaps in a church and they blew the dust off of it and Helkiah brought it to Josiah began to read it. And as he read it, Josiah, he was touched in his heart. He was quickened in his heart. It pierced his heart so much he tore his robe and he called the nation into repentance. Uh, He was impacted so greatly by the book of the law. And what I hope and pray for you and for me here at Calvary Chapel, that as we read the word of God, as you study the word of God, that it would touch your heart. It would quicken your heart. Because Hebrew says the word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. To get the word of God into your heart, you see, it's more than just having a head knowledge. It's getting it down into your heart. Let it touch your heart. Let it comfort your heart. Let it instruct your heart. It's alive and it's powerful. And it's so valuable to us. David said it's more valuable than gold. Honey in the honeycomb." is the word of God. What a privilege it is that we're able to, to study it every time that we gather and, and you're able to study it when you have your devotions. So he is ordering that the temple be clean, brings the Passover back. He, he brings revival to the land. But here's the thing about the revival that historians will tell you, and you, you're going to get a hint of it as you go through the book of Jeremiah, it was more reforms than it was revival. Oh, there was fruit that came out of it because during the revival, Josiah, again, the last of the good kings before Babylon would come and and take them away captive. But, you know, during that time, you have the parents of Daniel. Daniel who no doubt would teach Daniel the things of the Lord. Daniel being a godly young man that was taken off in the captivity along with his friends that were dedicated to the Lord. So there's some fruit that came out of it, but it was more reforms than revival. In other words, their hearts were not really right with the Lord. There's no report of any converts, as I said, of Jeremiah, or receiving his ministry, Uh, we know that uh, after the death of Josiah, they go right back into idol worship immediately. They turn against the Lord. And you see, I think there's an important lesson in that as we talk about it, because it's more than just going through the motions. Sometimes people say, well, I'm going to become religious. Uh, I want to become, you know, uh, one that's more of a moral person. It's got to touch your heart. And we're going to see that Jeremiah is going to speak about the heart. He speaks, he mentions the heart over 66 times in, the, in this book about the word of God touching your heart, giving your heart, let your heart be circumcised, all these things. So we can go through the motions, but our hearts need to be right. And Jeremiah, he had a heart for God. You know, Josiah had a heart for God. For, for most of the peoples, it was just reforms that was taking place. So here is, as we know the days of uh, Josiah, he comes on the scene in verse four. and the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Isn't that wonderful? He's called, he's hesitant, he's doubtful. He's certain that I'm not really the man for the job here, Lord, for this ministry. But always remember, if God calls you to do something, listen, he's not making a mistake. The gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. He has something for you to do that only you can do. And the wonderful thing about the Lord is that he'll call you and then he'll enable you to do that ministry. You know, the world, we want to give promotions and jobs and and things to people that are qualified. We get that. You see, the Lord's gonna call you and then he's gonna qualify you. That's the way the kingdom works. And I know that when he called me to be a pastor, that I thought, me, a pastor, there's no way. But I'm so grateful to the Lord. Because the Lord, He's the one that calls us and enables us, that works through us. We can just trust in Him. And it's one thing to know your own weaknesses, it's quite another thing. To let it be an excuse to, to not serve God. And maybe, perhaps, there might be somebody that's here tonight that the Lord's putting some things on your heart and you're making every excuse, well, I can't do that. I don't have the time. Uh, I'm not able to do that. That listen to the voice of the Lord because he desires to use you in a very wonderful way, in a very powerful way, and he'll see you through. And Jeremiah, he, he's going to give some wonderful assurances that he wasn't making a mistake. He talks about, first of all, in these verses, his electing grace. God doesn't save us, call us, or use us in ministry because we're deserving of it, because I'm worthy of it. It's because of his love and his wisdom and because of his incredible grace. And listen, it's all grace. It isn't just partly grace. It is all grace. Anything that the Lord has done in my life for the kingdom that has brought fruit, or anything good that has come from my life that the Lord is pleased with, it's all because of his grace. And as we look at this, it's interesting. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nation. God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, I sanctified you. God already had a plan for his life, and he does with you as well. He chose you, Ephesians says, before the foundations of the world. He knew you before you were even born. Paul writes about that, doesn't he, in the book of Galatians. He writes in chapter 1, verse 15, It pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. And before you were born, Jeremiah, I'm setting you aside for my use. And as God's children, we are chosen, set apart for him, for his glory, honor, and good pleasure. Remember in Revelation chapter 4, the song of the 24 elders and the four living creatures. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, who is to come. For you were created for what? His good pleasures. Do you know that? And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, many of you, you know the verse. That I love that verse that, that Paul, he writes, we are his workmanship. Poem is the Greek word where we get our word poem. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you know that you are his workmanship? You are his poem. Now, a poem comes, it's heartfelt, isn't it? You write a poem, it comes from your heart. And the Lord says that that you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus before him, that you should walk in them. He has something for you to do. He wants to use every single one of you, wherever he's placed you, the gifts he's given to you, an opportunity that he has before you. And I hope and pray that that we would say, Lord, whatever you have for me, where you've placed me, whether you're young, because here's Jeremiah Young, And and I always want to encourage young people. I love to encourage the young adults. I love to encourage the high schoolers, you know, even the middle schoolers. Listen, God can use you. God wants to use you. We see it throughout the scripture. Joseph, when he was taken off into Egypt, he was just a teenager. And God worked through him and and grew him and was faithful to Joseph to where he became the prime minister of Egypt. When we look at David, David, You know, David was out with the sheep. He was even too young to be in the army of Israel when it was Samuel that came to the house of Jesse to anoint him as the new king of Israel. And David went through difficult times. He was running from Saul. But David became the greatest king that Israel ever had because God used him and God worked through him. And he did that in the prime of his life. I think about Daniel who went off into captivity. Think about it. He he leaves, you know, he has to leave his homeland because he's taken in captivity never to see his family again. He's just a teenager and yet he's dedicated to the Lord. And God used him in a powerful way they come alongside and minister in the palace of, of Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar. And then later on, when the Medes and the Persians took over, when he was ministering the right-hand man of Darius, we look at, in the Gospels, John, the apostle of love, that many believe that he was just a teenager when the Lord called him to be one of the disciples of Jesus Christ. Mary, we're, we're going to be reading once again the Christmas story. When Mary uh, was conceived of the Holy Spirit, it is believed that she was just a teenager, 16 years of age. You're never too young to serve the Lord. And I'll tell you what, I am so blessed seeing some of our young people that are excited about the Lord. They want to serve the Lord. They, they, They want to grow in the Lord. And it's exciting to see that. It really encourages me. But I also want to say this. You're never too old to serve either. Moses started his ministry when he was 80 years old. So the Lord can use you at any time, on any day, any moment. Just seek him. And you'll find great joy in serving him and real purpose And whatever he lays on your heart and and as you seek him, he's gonna put it before you and place it on your heart. And he's not making a mistake. Maybe you might be thinking, well, I I, I kinda wanted to do a Bible study at work. I don't know whether I should. You know, keep praying about it. And if the Lord's calling you to do it, then do it. He'll enable you to do it. Or maybe to disciple somebody. Or maybe he's teaching the kids, ministering to them. Those kids are so precious there. I love watching those kids, how wonderful they are, what a treasure that they are to the Lord and to us, to be able to serve them and minister to them. Maybe it's serving in some other capacity, whatever it might be, the Lord wants to use you because you are his poem, his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works. You were created for his good pleasures. So we see here that he says, even before I, I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you as a prophet to the nations. And then I said, Ah, oh, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. And don't be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says The Lord. So first of all, God's electing grace. Second of all, Jeremiah is given the assurance of God's protecting presence. Uh, I can't speak. I'm a youth. And again, he felt inadequate to do this ministry. And and God always, you know, uses the one who humbles himself. And he uses the one who says, Lord, I don't know if I can do this. God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and the weak things to put down the strong and the things that are not to bring to not the things that are that no man can glory in his presence. And I am so thankful for that. That he chooses the weak and the foolish things of the world. He uses ordinary people like you and me in a powerful way. And in these verses, God gave Jeremiah three instructions. He says, go where I send you. Second of all, speak what I command you. And then thirdly, don't fear the people, for I am with you. So go where I send you. Speak what I command you. And know that I am with you. And it is the same with us. As we go where he sends us. Maybe it's to that person at work. Maybe that person at work that gets under your skin... Or maybe that person that bugs you and you begin to pray for them. And as you pray for them, you begin to have a heart for them. Maybe that person that's hurting at work, that you have a word to be able to speak to them. Maybe it's a family member. We're in that time of the year where we're going to be with family, aren't we? And we're going to be with friends. We're going to be uh, with coworkers, you know, at the holiday season, the Christmas season. And perhaps the Lord has a word for you to give to someone, to invite them to to Christmas Eve service and whatever the case may be. But you go where I I send you. Speak what I tell you. And you don't have to fear man. Know that I am with you. It's something that that we've talked about going through the first epistle of Timothy and then we're going to see in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Timothy, God hasn't given us the spirit of of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. And as we walk in the fear of the Lord, we can be assured that God is watching over us. And there are times where we can become afraid, and we need to remember the promises of as He gave to Paul when Paul was in Corinth. Revival breaks out. The Lord comes to Paul and says, "Paul, don't be afraid." Why was Paul afraid? Because it was a tough missionary journey. He was beaten with rods in Philippi. He was persecuted in Thessalonica. He was mocked in Athens. And he comes into Corinth and revival breaks out. And the Jews are going to begin to persecute him. And the Lord says, don't be afraid, Paul, for I am with you. And I have many people in this city. And no one's going to hurt you. And you see, we have the promise of his presence that he is with us. And that we don't have to be afraid as we speak his word and his love to others. And as I give the word of God, even if people don't like it, even if they come down on me or on you, you know, be committed to where God wants you and what He wants you to say, and give people the truth of God's word. And I can trust it all to the Lord that He's going to use it somehow, some way. And then, as we continue in verse 9, then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. And see, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and throw down, to build and to plant. And so, Jeremiah, thirdly, was reminded of God's effective word. Remember oh. Isaiah chapter 6. When the coal that came from the altar touched his lips, it purified his lips. When God touched Jeremiah's mouth, it gave him authority and power. You see, Jeremiah was to go where he was told to go, to speak what God told him to speak, and that is God's word. And we are told the same thing. Listen, you want to be effective in ministering to others? Jeremiah isn't going to go and he is not going to, you know, accomplish God's will by clever speeches or cunning diplomacy or in man's wisdom or in, you know, wonderful philosophy. He's going to give God's word. And if you want to be effective in ministering to others, listen, give people God's word. Speak the truth in love. That's the best thing that we can do. And you see, sometimes people, they don't want to hear God's word, but we are not doing them any good, and we are not showing them true love, God's love, if we're just giving them the world or man's wisdom or say to them, it doesn't matter. It does matter. Give people the truth of God's word. Allow the Lord to speak through you, and you're not going to know the words to speak and if you're not studying God's word. If you don't know God's word, you don't know what to say. And sometimes Christians, they have good intentions and they want to minister to others, but they're not students of the word. They're not ones that know the word. So how are you going to be able to speak the word into other people's lives? And I'll tell you what, as you're having your devotions and continue through the word of God, it's amazing in those opportunities that the Lord will begin to speak to you, those things that you read and you studied. And you're thinking, this is the word for them that I can give to them. Give people the truth of God's word. Not just your opinions or your stories or things like that. Give them the word of God. Because, again, you have the words of life. This is God's truth. And give it to others to bless them and benefit them. Well, we didn't finish the chapter. But we'll finish next time. We'll go at a little faster pace. And, Father, thank you. We thank you so much for this beginning of Jeremiah. And there is so much here for us to learn. And uh, so I thank you that we can study it. And we're going to gain so much from it. But, Lord, we learned tonight that even as Jeremiah was hesitant, he thought it was too young um, to speak what you would have him to speak for the ministry that you have for him. I just want to pray tonight for us that you have a ministry for every single one of us. And Lord, we want to speak your word. We don't want to just try to be clever or philosophical or come in human wisdom. Even as Paul said, I didn't come to Corinth, but I came preaching nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. There is power in the word of God. And there is power in the gospel. May we give that to others and not be afraid. Speaking the truth in love as you give opportunity because people need to hear the truth. We have the greatest news to tell people that Jesus Christ came and died for them. That we have the greatest truth to tell them at this Christmas season that God gave His Son born in Bethlehem and came for the purpose of dying for sinful humanity and so Lord what good news it is and I pray that as we study your word it isn't just for an intellectual exercise but it may be profitable to us and that we can share it with others and I think about how Moses was told to lead the people to the place that I have spoken to you And how can we lead our families? How can we lead others around us and minister to them if we're not allowing you to speak to us through the word? So Lord, help us because this world needs truth. This world needs the gospel. It's our hope. In a world, in a culture that changes constantly, continually, Lord, we have the assurance of absolute truth and your wisdom and precepts and commandments and message to give to others and to let the word of God work in their hearts because it's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. I pray that we would have compassion to the people around us, even to those who Lord, may be bothersome or difficult because they need Jesus. And even as Peter would say of Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. (coughs) Father, I pray that we wouldn't be afraid of the things that you speak to us, to maybe share with somebody, to be involved in a ministry, but desire to be used of you in every way. Whatever you have for us, because you'll enable us. So Lord, I thank you that you desire to use ordinary people like us for your glory. And I do pray if there's anyone here that you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ, that he is life, he is the way, the truth and he went to a cross to die for your sins and he rose again from the grave and he's alive and he says to you, come and whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, forgiven shall become a child of God right relationship with the Father and promise eternal life but it comes from a heart that says I need Jesus to be forgiven and to turn to you, Lord to repent, Quit going the direction I'm going and to surrender my life to you. He loves you. And he came to give you life and life abundantly. To be born again by the Spirit of God to give you a new heart. A new beginning. Because the world will hold you in bondage and will lie to you and will cause you to weep in your soul. In the world is not your hope. Jesus is. Will you come to Him if you never made a commitment? You can pray, Jesus, I come and I ask You forgive me of my sins. I believe You died on the cross for me. You love me. Forgive me. You were put into a grave and You're alive, speaking to my heart. And I ask that You sit upon the throne of my life as my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you for bringing me here for this new beginning. And I want to know you and walk with you. And I thank you for your love for me in Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer, as we're going to close here in just a minute. Come up and there's a prayer team up front.